This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, October 8, 2021, and today will be better than yesterday. Producing this podcast from Florida is Taylor Schwink. We'll get to that in a moment. I'm Buster only working from my home in New York. Taylor, you know, the podcast is not a big deal. What's a big deal is you're going to officiate a wedding. Yes, you can call me Reverend Schwink from now on. That's the only title that I will answer to. I'm looking forward to it. I've never done anything like this before. It's for my uh, my cousin, my spiritual brother, Jonathan, and his lovely bride, Megan. And uh, I'll be, I was practicing last night. Uh, I tell a little story, you know, giving the guests instructions. Everyone's got to turn their phone off, Buster. That's very important at a wedding in 2020. So I'm making sure I'm checking all those boxes and, uh, you know, getting in the zone, you know. Can't have too many Are you nervous? Are you nervous? Mm, no, not really. Honestly, I, I, this is like... Not silly, but we do this every day. We're talking to way more people than you know the the hundred that'll be in the the room there. So I'm I'm ready to rumble. So the podcast you feel like helps your wedding preparation? Yes, definitely. I wish you know I could talk a little more baseball or a little more college football in the ceremony. They said no college football talk, no jokes, strictly love. So you know I guess I'll I'll adhere to their wishes. It is their wedding, but uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. But they didn't rule out anything about the Orioles, based on what you Ooh, just said. You know, my my cousin Jonathan, we he is an Orioles fan. We've had some memorable Orioles moments together. That 2012, the first playoff game, we were together for that. We we hugged, we we cried tears of joy afterwards. I don't think he's going to want that in the ceremony, but it's could be on the table, Buster. I'll let the listeners know if I sneak it in. Okay, uh, uh, you know, if, if all of a sudden I hear about a bunch of people out in the wedding going, ooh, like, <laughs> oh. you know, they have during the national anthem, yeah. <laughs> right? then, uh, then I'll know that you will have manifested fully. All right, later today, the series between the Dodgers and the Giants, the one everyone's going to be watching, uh, will begin. Gabe Kapler and Dave Roberts, of course, played on the 2004 Boston Red Sox together. Gabe Kapler, the Giants manager. Dave Roberts, manager of the Dodgers, and uh, Kapler talked about his relationship. I really like Doc. Um, obviously known him for a really long time. Saw him be uh, an extraordinary teammate in, in Jacksonville. We played, we were teammates in AA. Um, and then again, obviously with, with the Red Sox and saw him steal one of the biggest bases in, in the history of baseball to some degree, but definitely in the history uh, of the Red Sox. Um, and then kind of watching him uh, throughout the rest of his career, playing against him, um, ultimately seeing him in San Diego, and then you know watching him develop in, in L.A. Yeah, I just think he, think he works really hard and cares a lot. And I think one thing that stands out to me is when I watch Doc um, managing games, he's, he's very intense and very emotional um, and very invested, and you know, I respect all of that. I think the person who cut the highlights, as an aside, Taylor, definitely is a football guy. Did you notice the the liner note on Gabe Kapler? Giants head coach? Yes. Uh, Gabe Kapler is identified on the uh, rundown and the possible uh, uh, audio oh, highlights yes. that we used today as not, Giants head yes, coach. not manager, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Corbin Burns, Brewers pitcher, uh, who will begin the series today uh, against the Milwaukee Braves, talked about making the playoffs four years in a row. For us to, to you know reach the postseason four years in a row is is I think the, the more special part. You know these guys have, have worked their butts off and have earned the right to be here and playing in this game. So you know I'm excited to be able to take the ball game one and 
go out there, see what I can do to uh, you know to help us get in the win column, um, you know, game one. But yeah, you know, we're 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 getting to the point where we're four years in a row now. We're starting to get used to this, so it's something that um, you know we expect to go make make a deep run. Here's Braves first baseman Freddie Freeman. You know, guys started coming in. We started playing. We started playing together. You know, a couple lineup changes in the last couple of weeks, moving Jorge to lead off. It just we've been mixing and matching, trying to figure it out all year. It's been an absolute grind, and I think that's what's so special about it this year is because we felt like we've been grinding all year, trying to figure it out. You know, and and we came out with 88 wins in the division title for the fourth straight year through all our ups and downs and losing the best player in the National League and. Thought we were going to have Mike Soroka in April. It never happened. You know, just so many things that could have derailed a season. We didn't let it happen. So I think the deadline and Alex going and getting those pieces just kind of just gave us that boost of energy to, to, to make it. Of course, he was referring to Ronald Acuna Jr. there. We're going to be talking with Carl Ravitch, who's going to be calling this series uh, for ESPN Radio, Braves versus Brewers. Last night, Rays and Red Sox began their division series, and Shane McClanahan was outstanding. Checks the runner in the 2-2, swung on and missed, and he strikes Devers out to retire the side. Dan Schulman on ESPN Radio. McClanahan had electric stuff. He's thrown up to 100 miles per hour. His great tailing fastball, mixing that with a nasty slider. He shut down the Red Sox lineup, and he got help from Wander Franco. One and one the count, and now a swing and a liner into left center. A solid base hit. Cut off by Hernandez, but around to third, Arena now getting the wave, and he will slide in safely. It's an RBI double for Franco. A Rosarena never broke stride, and the ball took a while coming in from left center, and the Rays strike first. With the Rays leading two to nothing, bottom of the third inning, Nelson Cruz came to the plate. Two down and the base is empty. 3-1 pitch on the way, and a high fly ball. Left center field. Will the ballpark hold it? It hit one of the rings. It hit one of the catwalks. And they ruled it a home run for Nelson Cruz. And so the Rays at that point seemed like they had early control of the game. And then Randy Rosarena began to manifest. 3-2 on the way. And a swing and a drive. Deep left field. And he has hit it out. Yeah, and a Rosarena wasn't done. He was on third base in the bottom of the seventh inning. Taylor's got a sign. Here comes a Rosarena, and he just stole home. Randy, a Rosarena, steals home. It was an amazing play. We're going to be talking about that with Carl Ravitch coming up, about the perfect timing that a Rosarena had. He's the first player in Major League Baseball history to homer and steal home in the same postseason game. Kevin Cass, the Rays manager, talked about that play. The steal of home, that was, you know, one of the cooler things I've seen on a baseball field. Um, he looks special player. He certainly gets up for the moment. He's proven that uh, day in and day out and definitely when it's postseason time. Red Sox manager Alec Hora talked about pulling starter Eduardo Rodriguez in the second inning. We felt like right there we have to contain the game. So G. Rich came in and got the out and then Nick gave us quality innings. Um, it's not that we map it out that way, but it felt with that lineup and, and the way they are, that was a moment that we had to stop it right there uh, to get Randy out and then move move forward, and we did. 
Game two of that series will be later today. By the way, uh, Red Sox slugger J.D. Martinez was available to the Red Sox. He's been coming back from that sprained left ankle, suffered in the last regular season game when he stepped on second base. Uh, he had not been on the active roster for Tuesday's wild card, but he was for last night's game. And at some point, the Red Sox are hopeful that he'll return. Astros and White Sox started their series earlier in the day on Thursday. And Jose Altuve had a neat base running play in the bottom of the third. Altuve at third, the pitch. Swing a ground ball to third. Picked by Moncada. No Throw to the plate. Save. Altuve scores. And the Astros take a 2-0 lead on the RBI from Bregman. Jordan Alvarez came through for the Astros in the bottom of third. Bregman at first, the pitch. Swing a high fly ball, muscle left center field. Robert looking up. This ball is off the wall. Just to the left of the low wall in center field. The cut throw to Anderson. Bregman around third. He will score without a throw. And Alvarez into second with an RBI double. It's a two-run third inning and a 3-0 lead for Houston. That from ESPN Radio. Michael Brantley is back in the lineup and generating runs. The 2-1. Swinging a ground ball through the right side. There's nobody home. Myers scores. Altuve behind him. And Michael Brantley with no shift in front of him finds green grass and high tides forever. A two-run single to make it 5-0 Houston in the fourth. And meanwhile, Lance McCullers was dominating on the mound, getting some help from Kyle Tucker. No walks for McCullers, whose 3-1 pitch is drilled to right field by Moncada. Tucker going back on it at the wall, oh. jumps, and he makes the catch right in front of the fence. What a play. Kyle Tucker takes away extra bases. And Lance McCullers is through six shutout one-hit innings with a little help from his friend in right field. And a lot of help on defense from the Astros infield. They repeatedly turned double plays in a 6-1 to win. If there was a silver lining for the White Sox in this game, it's that they made the Houston relievers work late in the game. We'll see if that has an effect on today's game. Dusty Baker, the Astros manager, talked about Altuve sliding to home. That was a uh, you know tremendous slide. I mean, he's an excellent slider. And, uh, you know, that was big for us, you know, because I think at the time it was, it was one to nothing. And so anytime you can add a run, um, you know, when you're playing such a good uh, opponent, uh, I mean, this is big. You know, the Bregman put the ball in play, and if you put the ball in place, you know, some good positive things can happen. Tony LaRusso, the White Sox manager, of course, has been doing a job for millions of years. Uh, I can't wait to hear this answer to the question of, will his team get discouraged? I mean, it's a good question to ask because you don't know our club. If you watch our club, it doesn't get discouraged. You get beat. If they beat you, you tip your cap and you come out tomorrow. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind we'll come out ready to play. I knew the answer is going to be salty. That's for sure. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, we have a boatload of games, an absolute smorgasbord on ESPN Radio this weekend. I'm going to run them all off for everyone. I'm sure you can go to ESPN.com and find the full schedule uh, if this eludes you. But here we go, Buster. Today. October 8th, we've got White Sox Astros tuning in at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Then we've got Braves Brewers, 4 o'clock Eastern. Red Sox Rays, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Dodgers Giants, 9 p.m. Eastern time. That is your Friday. What a loaded slate. Then on Saturday, October 9th, my birthday. Happy birthday to me. Braves Brewers, 
4.30 tune-in time. That is Eastern as well. Dodgers, Giants, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. And then on Sunday, the 10th, Rays, Red Sox, 3.30 tune-in time Eastern. And then Astros, White Sox, 7.30 p.m. tune-in time. Wow, what a slate of baseball we've got going on this weekend. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. It's the Ravage Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, play-by-play man on ESPN Radio this weekend. Carl, you're in Milwaukee in allegedly a haunted hotel, the Fister. The Fister, one of the great old hotels going back to the late 1800s. You know, gilded gilded foyer, beautiful place. Uh, Updated, but the rooms have those really high ceilings. And if you've ever been on the Tower of Terror at Walt Disney World and you're sitting in that ride and you sort of see the long hallway where everything kind of looks the same and you wonder what's at the end of it, it has those hallways where the wallpaper's all the same and you're you're just kind of waiting for something or someone or, or some image to poke itself out from the other end. Uh, I'll be honest, when I... When I shut the lights out, I did see the I did see the shades seem to close by themselves, but that was the only presence that I would have felt in the room over the course of the evening. And I did not hear Tim Kirkshin or anyone else running down the hallways because their sleep had been interrupted uh, by some type of ghost. Does Tim Kirkshin? Do you, I mean, do we know whether or not he believes in ghosts? Because my instinct is he does. <laughs> Uh, well, he's afraid of everything. Uh, as he told me yesterday on the drive, we, we drove, we kind of went the old owner's route. Remember when the owners would have meetings in Chicago and yeah. the commissioner, Bud Selig would drive up 94 from Milwaukee. We, we kind of, we took that same road. We, we landed in Chicago and drove 
to Milwaukee. Um, and, uh, you know, as you know, on a ride, you talk about everything. And he was explaining about all the things that he's afraid of, including heights and motorcycles, because Harley Davidson's got a huge presence here. And I said, would you ever ride a motorcycle? Oh, no, I would never ride a motorcycle. Anything that I don't have full control over, I'm not going to get on. I don't really like being in airplanes. I hate heights. I'm afraid of snakes, all those things. So I learned about all of them. I'm sure ghosts are on that list. Yeah, and he's afraid of any weather under 90 degrees. So this is the perfect. Yeah. You guys will be indoors for the, the Brewers games and then it'll be down in Atlanta for the uh, for the Brave games. All right. Uh, speaking of fear, I think the Red Sox at this point fear Randy Rosarena. This is, again, give a listen to what happened last night. Taylor's got a sign. Here comes a Rosarena, and he just stole home. Randy Arozarena steals home. And Carl, I got to tell you, uh, I thought Kevin Cash was dead on saying it was one of the most exciting plays he's seen on a baseball field because I don't remember a steal of home that was better time than what I saw last night. It was like clockwork the way that he worked this out. What did you see? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, it was when you then soon saw the replay of it, you know, you realize that Taylor is a sort of a double set pitcher. He's a lefty, so his back's turned toward him. Um, the broadcast indicated and showed how far Randy Arozarena was down the line, given that Red Sox endeavors were in a shift. So he had a 30 to 40 foot lead, you know, on a 90 foot base path. It was great. As soon as Taylor went into his his routine, Randy was off. And by the time Taylor had heard to throw the ball, you know, Rosarena had gone into his dive. It was it was brilliant. And I'm sure Kevin Cash has never seen something so exciting because if you think about it, Kevin Cash was staring right down the third baseline. He's watching this Randy Rosarena train bearing down the tracks uh, towards home plate. I mean, he had the greatest view ever. He also had a four nothing lead. His team was pitching great. It worked out. So it was it was as good as you can get. And I, uh, you know, I think we all recognize there are certain players who seem to rise to the occasion in the postseason. And it's not a huge sample size, but boy, Randy Rosarena is starting off the second one as well as he did the first one. I mean, it's incredible. Carl, as fun as the wild card game was in Boston the other night, I got to tell you, even going into that game, I thought there's no chance either one of these teams beats the race. Because I, I just I think the Rays are so stacked and they're, you know, they uh, all the different elements of that team have come together. You get Shane yeah. McClanahan starting last night as a rookie. He's throwing 100, mile per, 100 miles per hour with a tailing fastball and a nasty slider. Uh, right. You've got a Rosarena running all over the place. you got Wander Franco at 20 years old having graded yeah. bats. They just have so much acute talent on that roster. Yeah, so, the, you know, really the only – question i think going into a series against a team like boston or any other team for the rays was wait you're going to start rookies in the first two if not three games uh how are they going to be be able to handle it and then the conversation becomes so wait the rays are the best team in the league and now moving forward if you have mcclanahan and boz and rasmussen and glass now, instead of having the openers, which was a thing for Tampa for a while, you now have four what appear to be legitimate starters to go with the 20-year-old shortstop, to go with all the players who are fabulous to begin with. And 
you know, Kevin Cash, I guess, to his credit, is kind of getting fed up and pissed off with the same question, like, how are you doing this when the answer is on the field? The players are just better than most other teams, and collectively, they're way better than any team in the American League East and will be very competitive, if not better than whoever advances in the other division series. But think about where they are now today and then moving into next season. And for anybody that thinks the Rays are going away, they're only getting better, and it may be way better. Yeah, uh, and in this particular series against the Red Sox, they're going to run out, you know, left-handed pitching, which is a problem. Excuse me, uh, they, they're going to run out that uh, great that lineup that does so great against left-handed pitching. And unfortunately for Alex Cora, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez was the guy he needed to start last night because of all these started on Tuesday night. Today they got Chris Sale, who you know, despite the fact that you know he volunteered to pitch in the in the wild card game, Alex Cora knew no, there's no chance that's happening because everybody sort of saw sale, uh, you know, regress as this uh, time went along this year in this first season that he's pitched after his Tommy John surgery. It's not a great matchup for the Red Sox one way or the other, and especially against a team with that much talent. You know, I'd I, I never forget a conversation I had with Eric Neander, the head of baseball ops for the Rays. This has always stuck with me as maybe the best perspective of anyone from a small market team. He said, look, the biggest resource that any team has is not the payroll. It's not the uh, draft picks and that sort of those assets. It's all of the innings and all of the plate appearances that each team has access to during the course of a regular season. Cause that in those, you can help to make players better. That's the perspective of the Rays on everything, right? Yeah. Look at everything yeah. is an opportunity and don't worry yep. about the fact that your payroll is one third of the size of the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, your goal, your goal as an organization, your goal as a parent, your goal as a teacher, you know, your goal in any position of leadership is to put those that you are leading in the best possible position to succeed. And the Rays do that. And then they look at the players that they have and identify what they are best at, even if they don't know it yet. <laughs> Here's what all of our information and analytics are telling us about you. If you go out there and do this, you, you will maximize your potential translated. You will then succeed and make money in this game and maybe have some longevity or be able to go sign a free agent contract. Uh, Michael Walker is one of the great examples of that this year. They, they yeah. explained to Michael Walker, here's what we, we think you can do best for us and for yourself instead of starting games and trying to perhaps not maximize your velocity, we want you to be a guy that comes into the game for two innings, three innings, maybe throw as hard as you possibly can with your breaking stuff. You will be more effective. And he is the velocity is up at 96 to 98. And he's a, he's a better pitcher. He, he fits a role for the team because the team has guys that can now start. And that's that's what they do. He's just sort of the he's the the most recent classic example of how we maximize, as you said, your talent. And Michael Walker is just another example in a long line. And and look, ultimately, in order to have any of this work, it has to succeed. And they've succeeded. And it's been proven over and over again. But it's not like we're we're, we're making stuff up here. 
we identify players that have a certain skill. Um, we also have drafted really well, and it, it turns into something that perhaps other teams didn't see. They're a great identifier of talent. Um, and other teams do it well, but the, the Rays do it as well as anybody, if not better. Carl, in late July, we had a Sunday night game uh, in, in which the Brewers played host to Chicago White Sox. And I remember watching the White Sox that weekend saying, wow, that's a, that's a team that could have a deep October run. But since then, I mean, they just continually have taken dings with various players, uh, specifically in their starting rotation. Lance Lynn went out last night. We were talking about him at the, uh, you know, back in late July as a possible Cy Young candidate. And he got yeah. hurt down the stretch. Um, he doesn't seem the same. He got hit around last night. And on the flip side, Lance McCullers Jr. might be one of the two or three best pitchers in the American League in terms of how well he's throwing right now. He was dominant last night. He was great. He was great. It's just so interesting. You know, it's it, it was sort of an observation yesterday watching both of those games and you watch them from the beginning. And in a lot of ways, it was also reminiscent of the um, wild card game in Boston. If you watch the game closely, um, you know, the Astros got hits. Um, and then when the White Sox came up, even when they squared the ball up, which they did fairly frequently through the course of the early innings, they were warning track shots. I just remember watching that Yankees game at Fenway. There were some balls hit and Stanton's obviously notwithstanding because they, they ended up in hits, but their home runs and at other times in other parks, Joey Gallo hit a couple of balls that would have been homers. It, it, it feels very telling. And last night, if you watched Eduardo Rodriguez's first couple of pitches were borderline strikes that were called balls and you can almost you can almost feel momentum from from early indicators that this is not going to be their night. One team has ground balls go through, the other hits right into shifts just perfectly even if they're hitting balls 100 miles an hour off the bat. It, it was it was just striking to me and maybe coincidental, maybe that's it. I asked him about it when we were watching the game, he said, "Rabbi, that's just baseball." But there were indicators in both games yesterday and in that Yankee wildcard game that one team is, seems, seems, and I don't want to say destined because nobody's destined to win. You've got to play the game. But there were things within the game, instances where you're like, it's not going to happen for that team tonight. Like, it's just not. They're, they're, they're off by a tick. The ball's missing, you know, missing the barrel by a hair. And the other team, it's hitting it. And I don't, I don't know how you quantify whatever that is. But in watching the two games yesterday, when Eduardo Rodriguez didn't get the first strike call on the pitch that he threw, you, 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 you know him. There's a history. You're like, this is not going to be a good night for him. And it, and it wasn't. Um, so, you know, kind of a long winding answer to your question about Lance Lynn and the way the Astros destroyed them and McCullers, he's really good. And I, I know I've done many games with Framber Valdez on the mound. Uh, how quickly a five game series, you immediately say, "Ooh, Chris Sale, trouble for the Red Sox. Framber Valdez, Lucas Giolito, if Framber's on, that's two nothing going back. And I know they held serve but now you've got to win one of three games. That's a lot easier than going back one, one. And these five game series are, are really so dependent on the game one starter. And if they win, how it seems to, to really dramatically put pressure 
even as the road team, you you got to win that game because boy, it's going to be really hard after this. We got a bleach tweet from Rick Gabler who uh, makes reference to Dusty's Baker's history as a manager, 534 career winning percentage, 1987 wins, 1190 win seasons, at least one division title with all five teams. He manages Dusty Baker, the best manager to, uh, to not win a world series. And B, is he a surefire Hall of Famer? Let's throw in that he had nearly 2,000 hits and almost 250 homers during a long playing career. Carl, he should be making a speech in Cooperstown sometime. Oh, I, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And he's a, he's a unique person. Uh, he's a wonderful personality for the sport of baseball. There, there is a reason that the Astros hired Dusty Baker yep. beyond his baseball acumen uh, coming out of their disastrous uh, blank show that they, you know, that they created. Here's, here's somebody who, who can talk to you about any subject on the planet. He can deflect uh, attention away from the players who self-inflicted their own attention and wound. So there's a reason there. Um, he's been he's been let go from organizations at curious times, when like Buck Showalter, you you've you've brought them you know you've brought them to the altar, and just as the uh, official is about to say you know is anybody objecting to this marriage, it's like ownership or somebody says, yes, we actually do, even though we're this close, we need somebody else to get us over the finish line. So uh, there have been a, there have been a few examples where you, you wonder if he had stayed with the organization, you know, Washington is look all of all of them, San Francisco, Washington, wherever he's been, he's, he's seemingly has won. They seem to be on the verge of doing something special and Dusty gets bumped. It's, it's been very, very strange, but his uh, his persona, his experience, his and and here of course with with the Braves, there's there's experience he's got with Hank Aaron, et cetera. So he's a walking encyclopedia of the game, and he is going to be a Hall of Famer without without question. I'm that's why when we were asked to make our picks, who do you like in the World Series? Uh, there are clearly to me three teams in the American League that could be there. And I ended up just settling on the Astros because I really want that story. I want Dusty Baker to win a World Series. Yeah, that would be really cool if that happened. Uh, I always tell people, you know, I don't root for teams, but I root for good stuff to happen to good people uh, Mm -hmm. and good stories. And that would uh, check both of those boxes. Uh, Give me a key for the Brewers and Braves series. My key is I'm curious, and I picked the Brewers to win the series, but I am curious about where the offense is going to come from Milwaukee you know, a team that only has only two players who reach 75 RBI, um, you know, the, the, they only have three players who scored 70 or more runs. It's an interesting series in that it's the series that's being overshadowed by every other series. Dodgers and Giants is like an eclipse of, of baseball. It doesn't matter who else is playing. But here you have one team, Atlanta, that's pitching seemingly is now w- where it where it's at its best. And I think, I think, again, given the five game series, um, you know, you've got a Cy Young guy on the mound in Corbin Burns against uh, uh, Charlie Morton, who's got all the experience in the world and has had success, who's pitching as well as he has all year, followed by Max Fried, who's pitching as well as he has maybe in his career. Um, so I, I, you know, I think this is a really interesting set Milwaukee. I agree with you on the offense. Um, Atlanta's been peaking since the all-star game and certainly the last couple of months, they've been great. Um, 
the outfielders that they acquired were really good and and they can hit. Now you're facing a strikeout staff and they're a home run strikeout offense. And that's, you know, that's going to be a challenge. So I, I guess I'd counter with the Atlanta offense. Um, postseason home run hitting teams don't tend to do really well. The Braves depend a lot on the home run. And now you're facing a guy that doesn't give up a lot in Burns. Uh, look, uh, the, t- I, I don't know if this is a, this is overstating uh, the obvious, but uh, to me, the Brewers have to win game one um, because I do think with Max Fried on the mound, if you lose game one and that guy's pitching, I know going into it, you feel like, wow, the Brewers are really in trouble here because Freed's really good. And then we're going back to Atlanta and Ian Anderson's been a lot better. And so I, I think it's going to be the ability of the Brewers to strike the Braves out. And if Burns is good and they can get it to Hader, um, you know, game over for the Brewers. But man, if Atlanta can get some hits here and get get an early lead and Morton is good, we, we've seen this Braves middle bullpen be really good at times. Um, that's that's a challenge. So I'll go with Atlanta's offense, their ability to hit burns and score runs and hit the ball over the wall as the key in game one. Giants and Dodgers, you mentioned it's a series everyone's going to be paying attention to. For me, the key I'm looking for is how their starting pitchers respond to these moments on the big stage. Uh, You know, Kevin Gossman has had a lot of years in the big leagues. He hasn't had a lot of big moments, though, in the postseason. Uh, You know, Logan Webb has obviously been terrific, but this is, you know, new for him. And on the other hand, I really feel like that the Dodgers have this sort of experience now in the postseason that becomes a weapon for them. What uh, what do you think is the key? Yeah, like the key to me is is this concept of (laughs) we still go in or so many still go in. I've given up on on questioning the Giants' validity. Uh, I'm there. Uh, I, I I have the Giants and the Rays in the World Series. Um, I think that the I think the ability of the Giants to do what they've done all year, so it's not really something new, but um, their, their ability to slow down the game. You know, when the Dodgers play baseball, to me, it always appears as if the game is moving at the pace they want it to. There's very right. little about a Dodger game that makes you think it's it's hectic, it's rushed, it's chaotic. It's it's always very calm. Mookie Betts is calm. You know, when he plays, Corey Seager is just calm. Um, there's nothing about the pitchers, with the very small exception on a bad Kenley Jansen game, where you're like, oh, oh, oh boy, a little. This is going like they're they're not they're not in in rhythm here, and everything about the Dodgers is rhythmic to me. Um, they're not going to be somebody stealing home. I know Mookie Betts' speed helped win the 2020 World Series, but they're not doing those things. And I'm not saying that they're not smart enough or good enough to do them. They just, they don't do those things. They, they hit two singles and then they get a a wall ball double and there you go. It's two zip. And then their pitchers pitch and it ends the giants ability to, to just kind of show that they can just keep their heartbeat where it's been all year, do what they've done all year get guys on, hit home runs, make the plays defensively and and beat the team that you did beat in the division. That that's going to be the key. If you start to see some of those indicators that this is a little bit bigger because it's the postseason, then you're in trouble. But I there's zero reason to think that that's going to happen. They are a great team this year. They play their game, they can absolutely and should beat the Dodgers. 
But boy, L.A. just makes you feel like they are thoroughly in control of every moment in a game. And the Giants kind of have to prove the same thing. You know, we're, we're going to mirror you. We're not going to get overly anxious. We're going to we're going to play the same way you do. But boy, there's a pace to the game. The Dodgers seem to play with, especially in the postseason. And that experience, that experience is going to challenge the Giants. Yeah, 100 percent. And that'll be uh they say that'll that'll be a series that everyone's uh, because of the history of the two teams, just like with the Red Sox and the Yankees the other night, uh, the yeah, baseball industry will be locked into it. All right, Ravi, uh, watch out for the ghost and uh, yep. you know help uh, your friend Tim Perkin along. <laughs> All right, Buster, take care, buddy. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus. A Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. John Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, ToddRadom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? Doing great, Buster. How are you? Yeah, uh, you, of course, are well-established in this podcast as a Red Sox fan. So Tuesday night must have been a lot of fun for you. And then last night, on the other hand, a little scary watching the Rays team. Yeah, absolutely. Rays are a scary team. We knew that going in defending American League champions. But, but, but you and I both know the meaning of uh, the the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. Whatever it is, came back a little bit Tuesday night. And all the memories flooded back to 1978, to 2003, to 2004. Uh, it was a very joyous occasion. And I enjoyed watching you. I was uh, on the road, and um, anyway, we will one thing at a time over here. Tough series with the Rays, and catwalks don't help matters. Yeah, stupid catwalks. That's the reason why. <laughs> it's not the, it's, you know, uh, yeah, watching uh, watching the starting pitcher last night go in and roll out a hundred mile an hour sinkers. That uh, that was impressive. All right, uh, before we get to this week's forgotten franchise, I wanted to run this past you and see get some uh, thoughts from you on this. A 1911 Shoeless Joe Jackson autographed photograph by Frank W. Smith sold for 1.47 million. 
the most ever paid for a signed sports photograph. The photo was offered by Christie's and Hunt Auctions in New York in the auction Extra Innings, a private collection of important baseball memorabilia. Uh, other items sold uh, was a, a Babe Ruth bat for $1.05 million. A 1925 Lou Gehrig autograph rookie exhibit postcard that went for six hundred eighty-seven thousand five hundred, and a 1952 Joe DiMaggio autograph handwritten letter to Marilyn Monroe that fetched five hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Somebody was making some money yesterday, Todd. Buster, I, I thought this was all about NFTs. I thought we're we're looking at non-fungible things, but yeah, amazing stuff. The history of our of our great national pastime. Uh, continues to resonate. Uh, are you a collect? You're not a collector of things, right? No, no, no. I, I you mean, know, I've got a few things, and you know, nice, nice things, but they're they're specific to me. And there's not, I and I've never had interest in that. The idea of paying one and a half million dollars for a photograph. Uh, no. no, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. And I'm sitting here in my office, and I'm looking around, and to your point, I've got some things that are, uh, again, you know, mean something to me. I got a couple of cool things uh, signed. I'm not a big autograph guy. I'm a memories guy. And I certainly wouldn't be buying a photograph for one and a half mil. If I had a million and a half to throw around, I don't know, maybe, you know, I'd buy a piece of a team or so I, you know, wouldn't get me far, but yeah, that's, that's, that's something. All right. Uh, our friend Amy Chapman sent in a tweet that uh, her favorite part of the podcast this year has been Todd Radom and the forgotten franchises. Maybe make them into a book with pictures, including what the sites look like then and now. And if you need an assistant, let me know. Just kidding. Not kidding. Todd, what say you? <laughs> love it. Love it. This has been such a, you know, such a, such an interesting thing to roll out all season long, Buster. And of course, over the last year, uh, the, the last few years, and of course, I have a long-term contract with ESPN based upon our pizza exchange in Denver. Uh, we have done things like uh, baseball caps and stadiums, but this one, this one seems to be resonating with people in a little, a little bit of a different way. So you never know. You never know. If it was a book, it wouldn't cost a million and a half dollars, whatever the case. But thank you, Amy. Those are very kind words. Yeah, you certainly have a lot of uh, material for a book proposal if you ever wanted to put that together. Uh, given all the work you've done on it uh, this year. This week's entry from a team uh, up in Boston. That's right, Buster. This week, we are going to be taking a look at the very first home for the oldest continuous professional baseball franchise, the Atlanta Braves. This week's forgotten franchise is the Boston Braves, variously known as the Boston Red Stockings, Bees, Red Caps, Bean Eaters, Doves and Rustlers. This franchise began play in 1871, playing in the National Association, where they won four of that league's five championships. The club shifted over to the National League for that circuit's first season, and they've been there ever since. The Boston Braves, who gained their current nickname in 1912, played in only two World Series, 1914 and 1948. The 1914 club is remembered for overcoming a huge deficit. At midseason, they were buried in last place, 15 games behind the league-leading Giants, but they went on an epic tear during the second half and swept the heavily favored Philadelphia Athletics in the Fall Classic, thus earning their eternal reputation as the, quote, Miracle Braves. The 1948 club drew nearly 1.5 million fans to Braves Field. Jeez. 
led by starting pitchers Warren Spahn and Johnny Sane, they fell to Cleveland in a six-game World Series. This would prove to be the last great moment for the Braves in Boston, as well as the most recent World Series title for Cleveland. Faced with a resurgent Red Sox franchise located only one mile to the east, the Braves languished. The team was mediocre at best, attendance dwindled, and financial losses began to stack up. By 1952, the writing was on the wall. Home attendance for the entire 1952 season, Buster, was under 282,000 people, an average of 3,600 fans per game. The club was reborn in Milwaukee in 1953. This was the first MLB franchise shifted since 1902. That city embraced its new club and saw it win the 1957 World Series, but their fortunes again eventually shifted and the Braves settled in Atlanta in 1966, and this is where they are today, appropriate for this NL Division Series. As for Braves Field, Boston University purchased the ballpark after the club left town and converted it into what's now called Nickerson Field. The old ticket office still stands. It's now the home to BU's police station, and the right field pavilion, Hmm. as well as part of the exterior right field wall, are still intact. Buster, Sunday, you and I are going to go visit We will contemplate the Braves' 82 seasons in Boston, but for now, the Boston Braves are this week's forgotten franchise. 82 seasons. When I I saw that number, I was like, wow, that's right. Uh, And, of course, they were the last team, as you well know, of Babe Ruth. Yes. I think that, uh, you know, that's the team everybody forgets when they think about Babe Ruth's career. Uh, and he hit uh, career homers number 712, 713, and 714 all in the last game for the uh, Boston Braves before, and that was against the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates before he retired. And about that 1914 team, you know, it was always one of my favorite teams in history because the deficit that it overcame, and you and I were about the same age when the Red Sox in uh, 1978 let a big lead slip away to the Yankees. And that was the team that, that they were always compared to. The Yankees were as they came back were the 1914 Boston Braves. And I remember uh, when I was a kid reading a write-up of the Philadelphia Athletics and how daunting they were against the Braves in the World Series because they had the $100,000 infield. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which Very quaint numbers. Eddie Collins and home run Baker. Yeah. And and here you go, Buster. This is one of the reasons why October is so special. We get new storylines. We get new heroes freshly minted every year. But, but, but we do get these storylines that extend way back into the history of the game, including the 1914 Braves and the 1948 Braves. Uh, every year, you know, you'll see these, these citations of these classic old teams from uh, way back. But um, yeah, I've been to Braves Field, to the little pieces over there. It's not far from Fenway. You could take a walk. Uh, history is all around us. And one last thing, the Braves, three World Series championships in three different cities, Boston, Milwaukee, and, of course, Atlanta in 1995. Um, so curious piece of trivia right there. That's pretty cool. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, speaking of trivia, here we go, guys. Which of these events occurred most recently? A. Jose Altuve was born. B, the Oakland A's played in a World Series game. C, lights were installed at Wrigley Field. Or D, Nolan Ryan pitched his seventh and final no-hitter, which occurred most recently. The birth of Jose Altuve, the A's playing in a World Series, lights at Wrigley, or Nolan Ryan pitching his seventh no-hitter. Taylor, what do you got? 
Lights at Wrigley is my answer. I'm going to go Nolan Ryan pitching his seventh no-hitter. Buster, Buster, Buster. You are on a roll. It Ah. was... No, and Ryan pitching a seven in the final lap. May 1, 1991. Taylor remembers it. Well, lights were installed at Wrigley in 1988. The yep. A's played in the World Series game October 20th, 1990 against the Cincinnati yep. Reds. And Jose Altuve, little baby Jose Altuve, May 6th, 1990. Who knows who he was rooting for in that World Series? But Buster, now with a commanding, unbeatable, Statistically impossible to defeat <laughs> 10 wins against five for Taylor and an epic uh, 15 ties here. Woohoo! Yes, better than slam I dunk. <laughs> Taylor. Champagne oh. flying, Don't trophies play. being handed out. Don't exactly. let it get your eyes. We're spraying champagne all over the place. We're going nuts, but Taylor's going to console himself with the fact that by the end of the weekend, we have to refer to him as Reverend. Mm-hmm. This is true. So, Buster, I think that counts more in life generally than a silly, <laughs> oh, a silly oh, baseball oh, trivia oh, contest oh, on a meaningless podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's what my older sister always used to do. Well, sports isn't important anyway, or you know, the board game that you just beat me, and that's not important anyway. Yeah, sure. Now I get it. <laughs> yeah, tell all that right. to all. Tell that to all of those heartbroken Boston Braves fans who had to <laughs> deal with their team having moved in 1952. Come on now. Exactly. All right, Todd. Thank you, Taylor. All right. Sorry. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a glorious Friday. We've got our friend Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit up first. Mitchell writes in, after that NL wildcard game, I am just dreaming of another winner-take-all game. Which series in the divisional round is most likely to give us a game five? This feels like low-hanging fruit, but I'm going to say Giants and Dodgers. Just doesn't it feel like that they need to play a five-game series after the regular season and it came down to the last day and one team wins 107 and the other teams win 106? Doesn't it have to be the Giants and Dodgers, Mitchell? Has to be. It's the only way this can end for them. David Skaggs at David Skaggs 37 writes in, Hey, Buster, am I wrong for thinking that the Braves should beat the Brewers? I know the Brewers rotation is daunting, but Morton and Freed best MLB ERA of 1.7 or 1.74 since the all-star break are dealing and the Braves offense is clearly better. I don't know about the word should. I think they absolutely could. Uh, I talked about how my son is a Braves fan and he and I were texting today and I think he's feeling a lot of confidence. I, I mentioned, I mean, think about that. They, 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 the, team, the guy that led the Brewers in RBI had 86 for the year. I think the next closest guy is like 68. Like that is not a juggernaut, and they could easily get shut down. I agree with Carl. I think game one's huge for the Brewers. That is some grim offensive production. Last one for today, Mike Mosk at the Mosk 3 rates in. From all-star to mop-up duty to not being on the Sox ALDS roster, how the mighty have fallen. What happened to Matt Barnes? Is he fixable? I think he got tired. Um, I think he, as he got tired, um, and you do wonder, too, with a lot of pitchers, I want to make sure that I make this clear. This is not specific to Matt Barnes. A lot of pitchers, a lot of pitchers, you know, Garrett Cole, uh, you know, Garrett Richards, uh, did, I think a role as Chapman, these guys were affected by the crackdown on sticky stuff. Um, I, I think it just changed the whole game for them. And so Matt Barnes, um, I'd haven't gone and done it before and after, but, uh, you know, he was so great early in the year and then second half, he really struggled, oh. but yes, he is fixable. No doubt about it. Glad to hear he's not a lost cause. 
Keep writing in over the weekend. Again, we got that smorgasbord of games. Listen on ESPN Radio, hashtag Bleacher Tweets as you're watching and listening. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you tweet in, only refer to me by Reverend Schwink. That's the only name I'll respond to from now from now on, Buster. That's it for today. My thanks to Reverend Schwink, <laughs> to Carl, to Todd. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.